Discover the magic of integrating your financial, legal, and life planning. It's time for Smart Simple Wealth. Well, thank you so much for joining us once again on Smart Simple Wealth. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Carrie Qureshi, estate and wealth planning attorney at Qureshi Law Firm, serving you throughout Arkansas and Texas. You can find us online by going to QureshiLaw.com. That's QureshiLaw.com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to past episodes, and find out more great information there on the website. Carrie, thanks for taking some time to join us this week. How have you been? I've been great. How are you doing today, Walter? Oh, doing pretty well. Just dealing with pollen and those kinds of things as we record today's episode. It's just that time of year where we're dealing with those, those items. So forgive me if I do come across a little nasally on today's show. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just one of the trade-offs of, of having that warmer weather. That's right. And whenever we, uh, you know, we work in the audio business now, Carrie, so, you know, our, our voices are our instruments and mine is out of tune for uh, for the podcast today. But <laughs> that's all right. We'll, yeah. we'll still try and give you a good performance, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we've got a good show on the way. A little bit later on in the program, we're going to answer a great question on the mailbag from Lou, who has a question about being in a different tax bracket in retirement. So we'll dive into that a little bit later on. And we're also going to find out from Carrie in the getting to know you section, we're gonna be talking clothing. And oh, yeah, you guessed it clothing styles that may be uh, a bit funny to look back on. We're gonna find out what Carrie used to maybe dabble in in terms of clothing and embarrassing looks back in the day. Uh, All that on the way on today's show, but time to get to today's main topic. We want to talk about how to name legal guardians for your minor children. And Carrie, I think when it comes to estate planning, you know, naming your legal guardians for your minor children in the event that something happens to you and your spouse, probably one of the hardest things to talk about, maybe one of the hardest things to decide on as well, but also one of the most important things that you can think about and execute. And you've kind of, to try and help people navigate this system, put together kind of a six-step process so folks can make the right choices. Can you walk us through these different steps and, and why these are important to follow? Right. Absolutely. I'll be happy to do that. And I just know not only from working with parents every day, but also when my child was born and we had to go through this process ourselves. like you said, it can be difficult, but it is one of the most important decisions that as parents we need to make. And so we've really tried to just kind of break it down into a couple of different steps so that you pick you know, the right person for the job and you're comfortable with your decision. And so really our first step would be to sit down, you and your spouse, and define your ideal candidate before you ever start throwing names out. Define the attributes and the qualities that you would want in someone that's going to be looking after your children. And so this, you know, maybe could be a list that would parent your own parenting and philosophy style, the way that you discipline your children, especially when it comes to a religious or spiritual background. You know, those are really important traits that you should consider. Do you find that most people are kind of just, you know, saying, okay, we just want to find people that are as close to us as possible? Is that sort of the best way to go about finding that? Or are there certain things that people value more than others? Well, I think it's different from everybody. And actually, you know, geography was something I was going to talk about next Hmm. because, you know, a lot of people do want 
a guardian that lives nearby because you want your children, you know, if you grew up in a family and they're nearby, you want them to stay in that family unit. You don't want them, you know, hauled off across the country to a new state because that's just not consistent with their lifestyle. So I think there's trade-offs. And so if you had somebody close by that, you know, met all these other you know, qualities and traits, and that's great. But for some people, maybe they don't have anybody close that they really want raising their children. And it would be, you know, picking them up and moving to another state. And so I think every parent has to make that decision for themselves. But it's looking at all of the different qualities that you would want, and then really setting out which one is most important or the top couple that are the most important. So a lot of this is a very kind of emotional process, but there's got to be some practical sides to that equation as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the more practical matters that we talk about is, you know, the guardian going to be young enough and and actually capable of raising your kids to adulthood. And so for a lot of us, one of the first choices that comes to mind is, you know, parents, you know, your mother or father, but we're always having these conversations saying, well, mom and dad aren't getting any younger. We don't know if they'll be able to keep up with the kids and that that's really going to be the best decision. But on the other end, you also have to think about maybe if you're naming a brother or sister or cousin, you know, do they have a family of their own? You know, if you add more kids to that situation, would that be you know, the best situation. And so you really have to look at a lot of different factors. So interesting to look at all these different angles. And then, you know, money has to enter the equation here at some point as well, not just the physical and emotional side. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and everybody thinks about, you know, financial stability. But one of the great things, and a lot of people don't even realize this, is the people that you name as a legal guardian for your child, they don't need to be the ones managing the children's financial needs. And so if you had, say, a brother and you say, you know what, he's caring, he's loving, he's great with my children, he would be wonderful, but he's terrible with money. I just can't trust him, you know, to pay, you know, for everything for my child. I think maybe he would waste it or just not manage it properly. You don't have to have those roles together. And what I mean by that is you can name the legal guardian that is going to make the decisions for your children's health care, their education, but you can name a different person, a trustee to be in charge of your children's money. And honestly, I think that's a much better approach anyways, because you're separating those two roles out. And so You have one individual that is, you know, the trustee managing the finances. And then you have another person that's going to manage, you know, the children's health care and just their overall well-being. Many, many options to consider. And that's got to be, I know you you said this is a six-step process to kind of make the right choice here when it comes to naming legal guardians for your minor children. But step number one is quite the big one. Right. And that's the one that usually gets skipped. Usually people jump right to step number two, which is make a list of (laughs) candidates. And that's where we start naming names. So that's why step one is so important when we actually break it down and and try to figure out what are we looking for in a guardian. People do it the other way around. They name names, then try and maybe like backfill. Okay, well, these people do this well, these people do this well. Whereas if you kind of create that ideal candidate first, then fulfill it, almost kind of creating it like a job search. You put the posting out there and and that posting has your desires and wants of, you know, who to fill in the position and then treat it almost as like people are now applying to be the legal guardian. You're just putting their names in the hat for them, I guess. But, you know, that's maybe the direction that we should view it from. 
Right, right. And so step number two would be then to take that list of traits and then start listing names that you feel match up to those characteristics. And a lot of people, you know, obviously consider family members, but we also suggest, you know, reach out to close friends because, you know, maybe you don't have anyone in your family that is a good fit. And so don't limit yourself just to family. That's a really good point. And so make a list of candidates. That seems like a pretty self-explanatory step there. Just out of curiosity, though, I mean, how many candidates should we be trying to list here? I mean, what's a reasonable number? Is this a list of 10 or five or less than that? Well, I think, you know, again, that's different from everybody. I would say at least five is a good number. 10 might be too much. But, you know, at least your top three to five Okay. Those numbers make a lot of sense. All right. So step one, create kind of the ideal candidate. Then step two, make a list of those candidates. So now you've got that to work with. What about step three? Step three is also something that gets skipped a lot. And this is select first responders or your temporary guardians. And a lot of attorneys um, and families don't think about temporary guardians. They jump right into a permanent guardian. And so what you have to do, if you're naming a long-term permanent guardian if they are not nearby if they can't get to your child within you know one or two hours you need to choose someone local that would be a temporary guardian to look after your child or children until that permanent guardian can arrive this is really important so if you've got like a family member in you know the united kingdom and you're in arkansas but the united kingdom ends up being kind of your first choice here this is going to be a really important step for you because there's not going to be a reasonable way they can immediately be on the scene to kind of, you know, manage the process. And a lot of people don't even realize that, you know, if your child is, you know, at home with a babysitter or at school, and if you don't go pick them up, you know, something happens to you and your spouse, you know, the babysitter or the school would have no choice but to call police. And if there are no legal guardians present to take that child, then they'd actually have to call Child Protective Services. And your child would be in custody by Child Protective Services until guardian could arrive. And so, you know, for young children, this can be very traumatic if you think about, you know, picking them up, very unfamiliar situation, as opposed to having, uh, naming that babysitter or your next door neighbor as a temporary guardian to where they could watch the kids, they could stay with them, you know, for a night or two until that long-term guardian could get there. Wow. That's something that I don't think the, you know, layperson would ever think through, Carrie. I mean, that just seems like such a small detail in the grand scheme of things. But if this, you know, traumatic event ever does actually occur, it'd be a very important one as well. Right. And even as an attorney, before I had my child, I didn't realize that, Walter. I didn't realize that that could happen. And it wasn't going until doing some more research looking at what we needed to be doing for our younger parents and preparing all the documents that I even realized that it really does happen. And that really got to me just to know that my kid, you know, would be upset and crying and being taken away from a familiar babysitter and spending the night or two away from anybody that he he knows. And so that's really important for us to make sure that people are aware that that could happen. Just as a uh, caveat question here, if you are selecting a candidate who is also going to be close enough that where you wouldn't need a separate temporary guardian, do you still need to kind of officially call them temporary guardians or will it just automatically apply? It just automatically applies. Then we wouldn't actually name a temporary guardian. You just have to be careful and make sure that 
even the backup long-term guardian is also local. Because if you think about it, you know, if something happens and your long-term guardian is on a trip somewhere or on vacation, then, you know, there may still be a chance for a temporary guardian. So we'd have to think that through on making sure that all the choices, you know, make sense. And on that, in that regard, can you name, it sounds like you can, multiple temporary guardians so that it can kind of follow that almost like the presidential line of succession. Can you kind of have that with your guardians? <laughs> yes, yes. And we want that to happen. Okay. With all of our estate planning documents, we don't want to name just one person. We want to name, you know, two or three. And so it follows that, you know, you're the first person in line. So if this person is unable or unwilling to serve, then it drops down to your next choice and then your next choice. And this is what's so important because back to the parent situation, a lot of people say, well, my parents are in good shape now. I think that they could you know, raise our kids. So I want to name them first. But if the point comes, you know, where it's years down the road, if the parents say, you know, we really just, we can't keep up with them anymore. We don't want to do it. They know that there's someone next in line to take care of the kids. And that's really important. Yeah, especially if you, you know, don't get the chance to update the documents over the course of a couple of years and all those life circumstances change, having all those backup plans in place becomes very helpful. That's a great point there, Carrie. So that's three steps. And and we are starting to see the importance of why we made a larger list to begin with, because we're not just talking about really naming one guardian here. We're talking about a series of family members and friendships that can help serve as that safety net for your children. So this is important to why you start with the larger list. But at some point, we do need to narrow that list. I'm going to guess that that's step number four. Right. Dead on is to narrow down your choices. And then, you know, at least narrow them down to your top five if you have more than five already. And then also you want to rank them. And this is where you're going to say, well, this is my number one choice. But if something happens that they can't do it, I would be okay with my number two choice. And, you know, making sure that these are people that are really going to love your children and that your kids are going to get along with them well. So you're really starting to narrow down even those attributes that you want to see in someone raising your kid. Very important pieces of the puzzle there for sure. And so after we narrow that list down and rank the choices, time for the awkward conversation part? Yes, yes. <laughs> and and. It's better to do it now and to have that conversation and say, hey, you know, we're thinking about naming you as a legal guardian. What do you think about something that you're interested in? Uh, Because if they're not, you want them to tell you up front because it would be the worst possible situation for you to skip that conversation. Say, oh, no, they're fine with it. Put their names down. And then once you're gone, then, you know, they don't want that position. So if they're going to have any concerns or doubts, you need to get that out into the air immediately. And so you can get them off of consideration if, if that's what you want to do. Where do you find that those conversations, like I'm, I'm just trying to apply myself into the situation. We don't have kids yet, but it'll be, you know, coming down the pike not too long from now. And I can certainly see one of the the couples that we would probably have a conversation like this with, you know, there may be a financial component or a financial conversation that would occur there as well. And I'm, I'm sure that they would be, you know, would love to do it and willing to do it, but they may have you know, some questions about how they would do it from a financial standpoint. So do you go ahead and get into the the nitty and gritty a little bit about how you would also pass along some financial support if that's an option and those kinds of things? Go ahead and get that deep into the conversation. 
Yeah, I think that's really important um, because, you know, I know that when we had, you know, that situation come up, you know, it was important to tell our guardian that, you know, we have life insurance set aside just for our child and it will be, you know, in a trust managed by the trustee. You won't have to deal with that, but the child will have enough money to do the basics, right? Because you want to get, again, get those concerns out there because if they sit there and say, oh my gosh, I don't know. If I can, you know, feed another one or I don't want to I don't want to have to send your child to college because college is so expensive. We want to talk about that now. Yeah, really important. And I'd imagine these conversations evolve or depending on when you're putting these plans in place are a lot different. You know, if you your children or or child is, you know, a year old or recently born and, you know, in the toddler stage versus maybe you haven't had a plan like this in place now and your kids are in the, you know, middle school age or even almost in high school or something like that, it kind of changes the conversations and, and the planning process entirely. Oh, absolutely. And that just goes back, you know, to what we preach over and over again is that estate planning is not a one and done situation. It's something that needs to be revisited every three years, if not every year. And so going back to looking at, you know, how old the child is, what are going to be the requirements and getting them into adulthood. And so we always want to just go back and make sure that the guardians are still the right fit for them. And actually, you know, going backing up a little bit, Walter, you pointed out something really important that I just want to touch on when you were talking about naming a couple as a guardian. We see this is a huge mistake. We see where people name John and Mary Smith as a couple um, to be the legal guardian. Seems logical. But maybe John is your brother, but Mary is his wife. Well, you need to think about what happens if they got a divorce. Hmm. Who would you go to? Would it go to John? Obviously, you don't want it to go to Mary because she's not family unless, you know, maybe you do. Unless you like Mary better. (laughs) Right. And you never know. I mean, families are are different. That's interesting. But also, you know, if they get a divorce, maybe you don't want them being raised by John that is single. Maybe you wanted that family unit. You wanted, you know, the mom and dad role model. So do you stipulate and say, well, you know, if John and Mary are divorced, I want it to go to John or I want it to skip to my second choice. Wow. Because I want to have that. that. And if that happened years, I mean, we're talking, you know, let's say that happened 10 years after your death and the kids have been living with this family now for 10 years, maybe during their very formative years. Is that, I guess this is more of a personal preference conversation and not so much a law one, but, you know, let's just go down this line of thinking, I guess. But is that necessarily wise? Like, they've now developed that bond and relationship, and you're kind of, you're ruling from the grave 10 years ago, and now ripping them and putting them in with another family, that's got to be, that's got to be tough to have that kind, I mean, that's, that's a lot of power, I guess, that you're wielding many years down the line, not knowing then the current situation of everything. That's a little scary almost. Right, but it's not about, it wouldn't, if the family, so if your child goes to John and Mary once you're passed away, then they would remain in possession of the kid. It wouldn't, I'm trying to think of how to word this right. <laughs> um, it would have to be at the time when you pass away, 
that John and Mary were divorced. Oh, okay. Not okay. Late, not later into, you know, 10 years down the road. We would never do that. So at Thank the time okay. where we're looking at the legal guardian applying, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. You're saying if uh, in the paperwork you put it to John and Mary, and then five years later is when you pass away, and John and Mary actually got divorced two years ago, now it's going to pass to couple number two. But if John and Mary took legal custody and then they get divorced 10 years after that, well, they've had legal custody. They are the legal guardian. So you're not able to control that far into the future i got it now okay right that would be really technical and normally we just don't get that far yeah my mind was starting to blow with all the possibilities there of <laughs> it's like wow that's a lot of power to have you know 10 years after you pass away that's incredible but that makes more sense what you're outlining there so thank you for schooling the non the non-lawyer here so uh <laughs> interesting to see though all the little arms and moving parts that are involved in the process i, I kind of get a kick out of i mean it's kind of a it's obviously not a fun subject to talk about but i get a kick out of all the different, you know, layers and possibilities here that you can certainly create. And it's nice to have that level of control. So those are the first five steps, that last fifth one, sitting down with your top candidates, discussing all that's involved. What about the final step? Well, this one's the most important, Walter. What do you what do you think it is? Well, we have to we haven't put anything we've done, on we've done a lot of talking. We haven't put anything on paper yet, part. right? So we gotta do that part. Yes, legally document your plan. And so all of the discussions with your possible candidates, it, it doesn't mean anything in the eyes of the law. So we have to put it in writing. And, you know, one of the great things that we do in our law firm is a kids protection plan. We don't charge anything extra for it if you're working with us on your estate plan. But our kids protection plan is going to include not only your permanent guardians, but your temporary guardians as well. Also, instructions to your babysitter. You know, if you and your spouse go out for a night on the town, you know, we want to make sure that the babysitter knows who to contact if you don't come home, who has legal guardianship of the kids, who has a medical power of attorney for a child. And a lot of parents don't think about this either. You know, if you, that you can't be reached, then what if your child needs medical attention? Not just anybody can walk in and say, this isn't my child, but you need to treat him. They need to have a medical power of attorney to do that. And then one of the things that I love the most, and it's getting a little bit away from the legal documents, but it's so important, is something called our guardian handbook. And our guardian handbook is something, you know, that we give every parent. But this is writing down some of your wishes and requests on how you want your child raised. And so for us, it was talking about, you know, we want him to have an allowance. We want him to work really hard. Don't buy him a new vehicle when he turns 16. Buy him a used vehicle and make him really earn, you know, before he gets a new vehicle. Religious beliefs. And so really documenting that into an instruction manual for your guardian is also really important for that child's quality of life if you are gone. So many different things to think about, but nice to know that there's some guides and some people who have been through this before and been through the planning process and kind of kind of put that map together for us, excluding the guide and how much time that would you know certainly take to maybe think through and go through all of those decisions. Carrie, I mean, how long are we talking about from the from the document planning process once we get to that step? Is that a, a long process to kind of you know go through, or does that happen pretty quickly? It, ha it actually is really quick. We have a way to set it up on our website and it takes about 15 to 20 minutes. And so, Walter, we can probably throw that link in the show notes for everybody where people can go online and do it absolutely free of charge to name their long-term guardians. 
Yep, we'll do that. Just check the uh, link in the description of today's show notes, and uh, that'll take you right through to where you can do that online. doesn't take long. Now, it probably will take you longer to do steps one through five, as it should. That's something you want to put some thought into, right. but the actual right. document part doesn't take all that long. Well, that's really helpful, Carrie. Obviously, like you said, a takeaway here is it will be on almost all of our podcasts is that estate planning is not a set and forget it kind of thing. You know, all of these things you'll want to review every once in a while and make sure that your choices are still correct, just like naming beneficiaries and those kinds of things. We want to make sure that, you know, these things are still what we actually desire. And so just make sure that you're, you know, checking in on this throughout the years to make sure it's still what you want. But very helpful. Six steps to making the right choices when it comes to naming legal guardians for your minor children. Very informative, lots of great information there. If you've got any questions about what we just discussed, or you want to talk to Carrie some more about naming legal guardians and how to go through that process and what tools and resources Carrie has for you, you can get in touch by calling 870-275-4304. That's 870-275-4304. 4304, or you can also find the team online at QureshiLaw.com. That's QureshiLaw.com. And again, we'll put a link in the description of today's show to where you can get to everything. Thanks for helping us on that, Carrie. By the way, if you want to submit a question to be featured on a future show, you can do that by going to QureshiLaw.com. And let's open up the mailbag here, Carrie, and get a question from Lou in Piggott. And Lou says, I've always assumed that I'll be in a lower tax bracket in retirement, but now I'm questioning whether or not that's true. What do you normally see? Mm, That's a very hot topic right now. And traditionally, we've always been taught to defer taxes, right? Pay later. I want to pay later. I don't want to pay now. That's always been the traditional advice. But in the past few years, we have seen so much evidence that is suggesting that many Americans are paying less tax than ever before. And it's very likely that your taxes are going to go up in the future, not down. And of course, you know, this is always going to be a case by case basis. But my friend, Dan Capril, he wrote a great book about this subject. And it's called Diffuse, Seven Steps to Saving Your 401k from the IRS. And it goes into detail about, you know, why we think taxes are going to go up in the future and why you need to be taking steps now to protect your 401k and your IRA accounts from the tax bomb that is going to blow up when you start taking, you know, those distributions. And so that book is one of the free books that you get when you request our Family Wealth Toolkit. And it's a really great read. If you want to get that Family Wealth Protection Toolkit, it's got a lot of resources, including that book inside of it, talking all about financial, legal, and life planning. You can get that by going to QureshiLaw.com, and we'll always have a link for how you can get that toolkit in the description of today's show, as we uh, mentioned about those other resources earlier as well. Just look for the Family Wealth Protection Toolkit in each post. You can do that again on QureshiLaw.com, or by calling the team if you want to request it over the phone, 870 870- 275-4304. Thanks for the question, Lou. It's getting to know you time. And as we get ready to wrap up today's show, time to get to know Carrie a little bit better on the program. So Carrie, we teased it earlier on. We're going to make you maybe a little embarrassed here at the end of the show today. Curious as we get to know you a little bit better, what clothes or styles did you wear in the past that make you laugh now when you look back on it? Ooh. Yeah. Thanks for that, Walter. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, you know, I can honestly think of two. I can think of wearing the matching colored windsuits or the windbreakers. Nice. Yep. Um, back mm-hmm. in the 90s, you know, we had one in every color and the zip-up jacket. That was my favorite. But also, too, as a lot of people know, I grew up in the quarter horse world and went to a lot of horse shows in my day. So I remembered colored jeans, like the colored Rocky Mountain jeans. And my mom and I were actually having this conversation the other day. We saw a post on Facebook about it. But I had red jeans. I had purple jeans. I think we had <laughs> turquoise. I mean, we had every color. And it's just amazing now to kind of see those pictures and see those throwbacks. And I'm really grateful this is a podcast um, and we're not on video so we don't have to flash up any of my, my old childhood pictures here. <laughs> we totally need to get you to send us one so we can add it to the show notes today, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't we'll have any control website, over yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's pretty funny. The only thing I can think of, I've never been much into fashion, and so probably everything I've ever worn has always been pretty you know, faux pas-ish. But I was definitely into overalls as a little kid. So looking back at all the pictures of me and different types of overalls is pretty funny. So awesome. not something I would at least wear nowadays, that's for sure. Well, very cool. Thanks for sharing that with us, Carrie, and for all the great information on today's show. That was a lot of fun getting into the nitty and gritty of what is a tough topic and tough conversation, but hopefully we made it a little bit enjoyable and informative to listen to today. Thanks for your help, and we'll talk to you on the next podcast. Yep, thanks, Walter. That's Carrie Qureshi. I'm Walter Storholt. Thank you so much for taking some time out to join us this week. As always, if you've got any questions, give us a call, shoot us an email, go to the website, ask a question. We'd be happy to answer it. We'll talk to you next time on Smart Simple Wealth. Did you know you can subscribe to the Smart Simple Wealth Podcast with your favorite app? It's on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and dozens of other places where you listen to podcasts. And if it's not on an app you'd like to use, let us know and we'll get it on there. To make sure you never miss an episode, just search Smart Simple Wealth on your favorite podcasting platform today and subscribe. Investment advisory services offered through Pegasus Wealth Coaching, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Legal services provided by Qureshi Law Firm, PLLC. The Qureshi Law Firm and Pegasus Wealth Coaching are not affiliated in any way. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and are not intended as investment or legal advice. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Consult your financial professional before making any investment decision. Information provided does not create an attorney-client relationship and cannot substitute for obtaining legal advice from an attorney admitted to practice law in your state.